0: We're well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and, and we're continuing our study of 1 Samuel. Some of you college people who left for the summer we were earlier, of course, we're just going right through the book. If this is maybe your first time to come, we're doing what we call expository teaching. We're taking the book of 1 Samuel. We'll also go through first, uh, 2 Samuel. We go verse by verse, passage by passage. We're actually just teaching the Bible, seeing the truths and principles that are there. As you look at 1 Samuel, it deals with uh, the first king of Israel named Saul. It deals with the second king of Israel called David. It also deals with Saul's son named Jonathan, and we're seeing some really, really great truths and things that we can apply. We're seeing really a contrast. Let me just put this up. We're seeing a contrast between two men one is Saul, who is the present king of Israel. He has already been rejected by God because he disobeyed God, he didn't trust God, and he he did some bad things. And so God has already said, you're not going to be the king. He's a man of flesh and pride. He's concerned about himself. David has already been anointed as the second king of Israel. He was 15, 14, 15 years old when he's anointed. He will not be the king until he's age 30. So that 15-year time period is a transition. Saul hates David. Saul knows that David's going to be the next king. He doesn't want David to be the next king. David is trusting God or having to to say, I have to. He's concerned about God. He's a man of faith. And so what we're seeing is the conflict. And for the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to see David is on the run. Saul is after him, trying to kill him. Saul's son is Jonathan, who is David's best Friend. And so that's where we are. So we're seeing that David's on the run. Saul's trying to kill David. And David's having a difficult time. We're gonna see David does some things this morning that you will go, that doesn't seem like David. It doesn't seem like what David would do. And we'll see it as we look through it this morning. There's several things we want to talk about. We want to talk about evil and sin in our world. We're going to see it in our passage. Uh, When I finished the first service this morning, I said, you know, that this is a terrible passage. You know, I don't mean it bad. I just mean there's so many things that happen in this passage that are really pretty bad. And so when you study it, you go, boy, you know, that um, God's word is alive and powerful, and it teaches us some things. We're going to see evil in our world. We're going to see David's failure, and we're going to see Saul's actions, what he tries to do, and we'll see how that fits together. Well, we know that we live in a fallen world. We know that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and death by sin, death, death passed upon all. This is a fallen, sinful world. All the sinning and come short of the glory of God. And then there's, there's sinful people, and then occasionally, we find that there's some people who are evil, that they're evil. Uh, I, I like to read, and I read a lot of different books, and I read a, a lot of books on the Holocaust, And I've read just recently books about uh, Auschwitz and Buchenwald and Hitler and the evil things that went on. And if you read those books and you read the people who survived and they tell you what happened, uh, you, you really can't believe how evil some people are and what happened. I I read this event. It happened, I think, a couple of years ago. But there were two cars in one of our cities, and they were side by side, and they began to shout at each other. The people in the cars, they were like gangs or something. And so one car went on ahead, and that one kind of stayed back. And then he pulled up real fast beside him. A guy had a gun, and he shot, and he killed the driver, and he shot the other guy. And then as he sped away, he ran into another car and killed the person in that car. And we would say, oh, my gracious, wow. Evil, I mean, why would you do that? You kill somebody here, then you drive away and kill somebody else and and you look at your world and you you, you sometimes realize that sometimes evil people do evil things and there are going to be times in our lives that we look at and we go, how could somebody do something like that? I mean, we all sin and we all say, hey, we all sin and come short of the glory of God and and we're sinful people and we mess up sometimes, but there's also some people that are evil and we're going to see an evil person in our passage this morning, and we'll see how that ties together. So uh, we're going to do something a little bit unique. We're going to look at chapters 21 and 22, and you think, oh my gracious, that's a lot. It is. I do talk fast, if you remember that. And um, we're going to go through both chapters, and, and there'll be a lot of great stuff. And it's narrative, so we, we can we can make it. So let's remember, when we start, David is on the run. David and Jonathan are friends. Jonathan's already warned David and said, my father is trying to kill you. You better get out. And David is running for his life right now. We know that one time he we was running, he went to Samuel. We're going to see where he comes to this time. And um, so Saul has plans. His plans is to destroy David in order to prevent him from being the next king. Now think about this. Saul knows God has sent Samuel the prophet to Saul and Samuel says, you are no longer to be the king. God has rejected you from being king. Instead of saying, well, I guess that's what God wants, he says, I'm not going to let David be the king. He knows David's going to be the next king. He says, I'm not going to let him be the king. I'm going to kill him so he can't be the king. David knows that he's going to be the king, but he's not trying to kill Saul, and we'll see what happens. So where does David go? He's running for his life. Look at chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Well, we see that David goes to a little town, a little place called Nob. Nob is just just north of Jerusalem. There was the tabernacle that was there. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. And there's a priest, and the priest's name is Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is there, and it says that when David came, David came by himself, and when David came, Ahimelech came out, and it says he was trembling. Because when he sees David by himself, that's really unusual. Because David is like a leader of a whole bunch of, tr- of soldiers. And he, and he worked for Saul. He worked for the king. And for David to be alone, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. And when the priest comes out, it says he trembles. And I think he's also wondering, could Saul be up to Sunday? Because everybody knows that Saul is not a person to be trusted. They all know that. So he comes out and it says, why are you alone? There's no one with you. He, he comes out and he says, why are you by yourself? Because that's that's really, really unusual. And look what David does. David said to Halamac the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter that has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I'm sending you, and which I commissioned you. And I've directed the young men to a certain place. Now David is lying. But he's lying, and he thinks he's lying to protect the priest. He doesn't want the priest to know that the king is trying to kill him. So he says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm on a secret mission for King Saul, and he told me to come, and I've got some men. They're not with me. They're, they're basically hiding. And so we're going, and we're on a secret mission. That's why I'm by myself. I think he thinks that if I were to tell the priest... I'm running from Saul. He either wouldn't help me or he'd be so afraid he wouldn't know what to do. So I'm not going to tell him. David thinks he is protecting the king. Uh, Excuse me, the priest. So watch what happens. Verse 3. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me uh, five loaves of bread or whatever else can be found. Well, the priest answered David and said, there's no ordinary bread on hand, but there is some consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. Well, let's explain what happened. David, David's got a request. He needs some food. And so he says to the king, you got any bread? You got like five loaves of bread? And the priest says, I don't have any bread. In fact, the only bread I have is what we call the consecrated bread. It's called the bread of presence. It's also called the show bread. Because in the tabernacle, out front, there was this, this altar where they offered sacrifices. And then if you went in the front room of the tabernacle, if you look to the right, there was a table, and the table had 12 loaves of bread on it. And the loaves of bread, each loaf was representing the nation of Israel. That's why there were 12 loaves, because there were 12 tribes. Also, it it was a foreshadow of Jesus, because you remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and that's who he is. On the other side of the tabernacle, there was a lampstand, and if you remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so the tabernacle was a picture of Jesus. But here's this bread, and the priest says... I don't have any real bread. I'm going to have just plain bread. I don't have any ordinary bread. There is the consecrated bread. He said, now, I can, I I, I mean, I could give you that bread. I mean, only people supposed to really eat it are the priest. And see, what's supposed to happen is once a week, at the beginning of the week, they would make 12 new loaves of bread, take it in there, set it in there, take the other loaves out, and the priest ate it. So he's got that bread. And he says, "I, I, I, I mean, I could give it to you. I, you really, we're only supposed to be the ones to eat it, but I could give it to you. And then he says, "But make sure that the young men have kept themselves from women." Well, what is he? What is he saying? Oh, by the way, the the bread, of course, represents the twelve tribes and and that kind of thing. When he says the the young men have kept themselves from women. He says, they're going to eat this bread. they got to be pure. And they considered then that if you had sexual relations with somebody, whether you were married or not, at that point in time, you were unclean for a while. And so they basically said, if you're going to go off to fight, men should not have sexual relations before they go off to fight. They've got to be pure. He says, okay, I can give you the bread to give to the men if if they're pure. So look what David says. David answered the priest and said to him, surely women have been kept from us as previously when we set out. The vessels of young men were holy. Though it is an ordinary journey, how much more than today will the vessels be holy? He basically says, well, we, we, we started out holy. Best I can tell, we're still holy. We're still there and, and uh, we need bread. So look at David. He's lying. I don't mean it bad, but David's lying and he's trying to protect the priest. He, he knows that if he tells the priest that Saul's trying to kill him, uh, no telling what the priest would do. Uh, the priest would probably be so afraid he wouldn't know what to do. So David is lying And watch what happens. So the priest, verse 6, gave him the consecrated bread. For there's no bread but the bread of the presence, which was removed before the Lord in order to place hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So once a week, they'd swap the bread out. Well, David's not through because he's going to make another request in just a minute. But suddenly, somebody else is there. Who is there? Look what it says. Now, one of the servants of Saul, verse 7, one of the servants of Saul was there that day. Detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Well, we meet this guy. His name is Doeg. He's not Jewish. He's an Edomite. He's from Edom, which is a, diff- that's a different country. That's not that's not Israel. And he's an Edomite, but he happens to work for, the, for King Saul, and he's the head of all the shepherds because King Saul had all kind of uh, you know, animals and everything, and this guy was the shepherd that took care of all of that. And he's there. Now, that's all it says. He was there. But I want to tell you something uh, about this man. We will see this man as evil, and he will do evil things. So get Ready? We'll see him in just a minute. Well, David, David asked for more. Watch what he says. And David said to him, Ahimelech, now, is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapon with me because the king's manner was urgent. Now, he actually says, you got, any, you got a sword or spear or something? And you know, if you're the priest, you're thinking, this is weird. David's going to leave to go on a secret message, mission for the king, and he doesn't even have a sword? And he says, well, yeah, I have a sword. And we're going to find out what sword it is. But he says, do you not have a sword? I I, I came so fast, I left so fast, I didn't even get a sword. Then the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ebon. If you would take it, take it for yourself. For there's no other except it. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Now, the only thing, the weapon that is there is the sword of Goliath. Now, you remember the story that David killed Goliath. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. We saw it back when David was a boy. Hit him in the head with a rock with a sling. Hit him right there. He fell over. David took that giant sword and cut his head off. And what we know is he took the head and took it back to Jerusalem. He took the sword. And now, we didn't know then what he did, but now we know that he took the sword and he took it to the priest at Nob, that little town, and they gave him the big sword. They wrapped it up and put it in, in the place where the priests stay. And so he said, you got a sword? You got anything? And he said, well, the only sword I got is that big old sword that Goliath had. Now, let's stop for just a second. We're going to see something more in a minute. Goliath, does anybody remember what town Goliath was from? He's from Gath. And the king of Gath was named Achish, and Goliath was from Gath. And when Goliath came out to challenge the Israelites, David came and hit him in the head and then killed him. So just remember that. And he says, the only sword I have here is the sword that, you know, basically you took off Goliath. When you you cut off his head, you used his own sword, and you kept the sword, and you put it here. So the sword is there. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath is here. David said, well, there's nothing like it. Give it to me. Now, I want you to stop and think for a second. What's David going to do now? He, he's basically said, I'm on a secret mission for the king, but he's not. He's running. He's got Goliath's sword. He's got some bread that really the only people supposed to eat it are the priest, but the priest gave it to David because he needed it. And we're going to see that at this time, David is not thinking correctly. When we are afraid, sometimes we do foolish things. We don't do normally. You know, when you get afraid, you'll do things, you'll say things. You know, some t- fear is a, fear will really get us. And you know, we don't have to be afraid. We have God, he is our savior. He lives in us. Uh, he controls everything. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you ever fear? The truth is we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid when we start a new school year. We don't have to be afraid of, of a virus. We don't have to be afraid of, of evil people. We don't even have to be afraid of anything because we have a God and savior who loves us and is there for us and who protects. He is the provider and protector. Well, David is not thinking correctly right now. Up to this point, everything David does has been really good. And we say, David, you're something. Well, watch what David does. Now, remember, Goliath is from what city? He's from Gath. Watch the next verse. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish. What? King of Gath? David leaves and flees to, to the Philistine cities. Look, there were five cities that the Philistines had. Eshkron and Ashdod and Gath and uh, several others. And, and uh, uh, Gath is the city of Goliath, the big tall guy. David got the sword of Goliath and must have said, hmm, Goliath, Gath, maybe I'll go to Gath. You want to say, David, are you thinking correctly? If you think Saul wants to kill you, what do you think the Philistines want to do to you? They want to kill you. So let me ask you something. Do you think David's thinking correctly right now? Does this sound like David to you, that he's going to go to the Philistines, to a place where they hate him, where he is known as a warrior and a, and a leader, and he's going to go there and hide from Saul? Well, let's see what happens. Verse 10, David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, they came to Achish and they said, is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one? And they dance, saying, David has slain his, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Listen, when David gets down there, some of the people say, you see the guy with the big sword over there? <laughs> That's that guy that killed Goliath. He's here. What's he doing here? I have no idea what he's doing here. Let's go tell the king. So they go tell the king, and they say, do you realize That David guy who kills 10,000s of us who helped gave that great victory, who the one who killed Goliath, he's right outside the door. What are we supposed to do with him? Why is he here? Is he going to kill us? Should we kill him? What should we do? Well, when David heard about this, he knew that they found out he was there. Look what it says. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. Okay, what's he going to do? So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Do you know what he does? David realized he was discovered, so he pretends to be crazy. Can you picture David? He's outside the door and he's scratching on the door and he's got spit falling down all over him and he's saying wild things and they're looking at him like, who who is this? He's crazy. That's a crazy man. Step back from that guy. There's no telling what he'll do. He's scratching on the door, spit's coming all over him. This is David. This is our man. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the man that we've loved from the very beginning. And look what he's doing. You know why he's doing that? He's afraid. Fear will make you do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. Look what it says. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Geths, so he disguised his sanity. He scribbled his hands. he, He scribbled on the doors of the gate and let saliva run down his beard. He's pretending to be crazy. Now, watch Achish. What would you do if you were the king and you found out that this guy named David who killed Goliath is outside the door and he's, he's got saliva all over him and he's all that mess. Look what he says. Akish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving as a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Well, look what Akish says and it's, and it's pretty wise. Akish says, do I lack madmen? Don't I have enough crazy people? Are you bringing me another crazy person? I got plenty of crazy people in my kingdom. I don't need another one. And he's basically saying, get rid of the guy. I don't need him. He's figuring that David no longer is going to make a difference because David's crazy. And so David's pretending to be crazy. So Achaz said, why would you bring me another madman? I got plenty of madmen. And so David fooled the Philistines and escaped. Now, his actions are not normal for David. He's acted crazy. He's on the run. He fears for his life. And when we get afraid, we'll do some strange things. We can be afraid in our world. We can be afraid of a virus. We can be afraid of people going to break into our house all the time. We can be afraid of all kind of things. And when we do, sometimes we don't act normal. If you want to write this down, Psalm 56. This was the Psalm that David wrote when he went to Gath and pretended to be crazy. Psalm 56. Just write that down. Look at it sometime, and you'll see what David says there. Now, we're we're going to continue on, so look what happens. So David departed from there. He got out of there. That was a smart thing to do. David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Abdullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Now, let's stop for just a second. David leaves, and he goes to the cave of Abdullam. We don't know where the cave of Abdullam is. We think it's in a place called the Stronghold, which is not exactly in Israel. It's sort of over, probably across the, the Jordan River. And he's there, and he's at a cave called the cave of Abdullam. Must be Abdullah must have owned that land, and that's called his cave. David gets to that cave, and look what happens when he gets to the cave. It says, his brothers... And his father's household all heard of it, and they came down there. Now, I want you to think about that. They came down there to see him. David's family came to see him. Look at the next verse. It says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Now, I want to raise a question to you. Jonathan Jonathan can find David. David's family can find David. 400 men can find David. Saul can't find David. You know why? Because God won't let him. God is protecting David from Saul. And all through the rest of this book, Saul is going to do everything he can to catch David and to kill him. And he'll never be able to do it. Because God is protecting David. And David should have remembered that when he went down to Achish, king of Gath, and had to pretend to be crazy to get out of that one. So now he's there. And 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 by the way, just just for fun right here, if you want to write down Psalm 142, this is the psalm that David wrote when he came to the cave of Abdullam when he's running from Saul. Now, it says a bunch of people joined him. And notice it describes them. It says, some who were in debt, some who were distressed, some who were discontented, they gathered to him. He became the captain, and there are 400 men with David. He's got an army, 400 men. Have you ever thought about these men? These aren't um, the top of the line, are they? They're the ones who are in distress. They're the ones who are in debt. They're the ones who are discontented. You know, some of them may be saying, I don't like Saul. I don't want him to be my king. I'm going to go find that David guy and hang around with him. And so David gets what later becomes his mighty men. And they're going to be 400 men later. They're going to get, it's going to be up to 600 men before he gets through. He's going to have all these men with him. And let me tell you what God does. These men become his mighty men. They become great warriors for Israel. You know what God does? He takes discontented, messed up people and he turns them into great warriors. And he takes us, fallen people, and he turns us into men and women of God to be used by God. David's mighty men. By the way, you're going to read later on when you get over in the Chronicles and all that. You're going to see that David has a list of the mighty men and he has three that he calls, these are the three. And he tells what they do. And then he lists 30 men. And of these 30, he says, now here's the 30, but they're not of the three. And he lists 30 men and he says, these are mighty men of God. He lists them out. And then he has more. So he's got 400 with him right now, but there's going to come a group of men called as mighty men, and they're going to be great warriors. So look what happens, and we'll we'll go fairly quickly as we get through this. And so, and David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, now think about this, he's now going to Moab, and if you know anything, Moab, if you know the Bible and you know the the, the map, uh, across the Jordan River, a little bit further north, is a country called Moab, the Moabites. He goes there. He leaves Israel and goes to Moab. And it says, David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he saw the king of Moab. And he said, please let my father and my mother come to stay with you until now. Until I know what God's going to do for me. So he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, let me ask you a question. Why Moab? Why would David go to Moab? You know why? Because David's great-grandmother was from Moab you ever heard of her her name is Ruth Ruth and Boaz so he goes back to where he has relatives and he says you remember me <laughs> you remember Ruth and Boaz and they all go oh yeah yeah they're famous yeah well I'm from them and my family needs help would you take care of my mother and father until I find out what God's going to do with me and he left them there Now, David could have stayed in that stronghold, but watch what happens. The prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Behold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest land. Listen, he gets a message from God to leave and to go back to Israel. God's going to protect him. And that's why God always says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to be afraid. Now, I'm going to quickly look at this next part because Saul, we're going to to flash back to Saul. What's Saul doing? We're going to find that Saul is under a tree with a bunch of his servants. They're all from the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul is trying to convince them to stay on his side because he knows they might go with David. And he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You're from the tribe of Benjamin. If David becomes king, he's from the tribe of Judah. He won't take care of you like I'll take care of you. We're both from the tribe of Benjamin. He's from the tribe of Judah. So watch what Saul does. Verse 6, when Saul heard that David and his men were with him, that had been discovered, Saul was sitting in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand, and all the servants were standing with him. Saul said to the servants who stood around, Hear now, Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give you veals and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? He's basically saying, will, will David take care of you like I'll take care of you? He's not from your tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'll take care of you. He's from the tribe of Judah. He won't take care of you. And then look at verse 8. For all of you have conspired against me so that there's no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there's none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as to this day. Now that's a long sentence, but here's what he says. He says, everybody's against me. Nobody told me about Jonathan and David. Nobody feels sorry for me. And nobody tells me that David's trying to kill me. David's not trying to kill him. He's telling his people, nobody cares about me. I'm all sad. Nobody told me about my son. Everybody's against me. David's trying to kill me. And y'all are just standing around. That's what he's basically saying. He's pretty, is he pitiful or what? He's pitiful. He's been pitiful for a long time. And he's pitiful. Now watch what happens. Because he's saying, none of you care about me. And suddenly, somebody steps forward. You know who it is? Look at the next verse. Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doeg, remember, was at the tabernacle. Doeg, as I told you then, was an evil man. And he says, I saw the priest. I saw when David came to him and David, the priest helped him. He gave David food. He gave David a sword. He gave him all kinds of stuff. And and he even inquired of God for him. And so so that priest is helping David, your enemy. What do you think Saul's going to do? We all know Saul. He's evil too. So look what happened. Verse 11, Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, and the priests who were at Nob, and all of them who came to the king. Now, he sent for the, king, so the priest. They went to Nob. You know how many priests at Nob? There's at least 85. 85 priests, plus the family, plus Ahimelech, and his mama and daddy and family, plus their kids, plus everybody else, and he says, Saul wants to see you right now. So they come. And the king Verse 12, Saul said, listen now, son of a high tub. And he answered, he said, here I am. He said, Saul said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me and that you have given him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by laying in ambush to this day? He said, why have you conspired against me? Why are you against me? You've, you've given him bread and a sword and inquired of God. Now, you know what a hell that to say? I, What are you talking about? David comes by all the time. David is your man. David told me he he was on a special trip for you. I I always pray for him and I, I give him stuff and I haven't done anything wrong. I don't even know what you're talking about. Why have you conspired against me? Ahimelech says to the king, well, who is among all your servants as faithful as David? He's the best. Even the king, he's your son-in-law and he's captain over your guard and he's honored. Did I just begin to inquire for God for him today? I mean, I've done this a bunch. Don't let the king impute anything to his servant or to his household or my father, for we didn't know anything about this. He says, listen, I, I've been doing this for David for years. I don't know anything about uh, conspiracy against you. He says a word I just want you to see. He says, king, do not impute to me something bad. I want to stop for just just one minute and explain something to you from the Bible called the doctrine of imputation. And to impute means to give from one place to another. And the Bible talks about this. Let me show you what it is. Adam sinned. When Adam sinned in the garden, that sin was imputed to every person. Romans chapter five, verse 12 says, as through one man sin into the world and death by sin and death passed to all for all sin. That means when Adam sinned, every one of us got his sin. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We come into this world with the imputed sin of Adam. The Bible then tells us that all our sins, mankind's sins, were imputed, placed on Christ on the cross. That means when Jesus went to the cross, every sin we've ever done, past, present, or future, was then placed on Jesus Christ. So how many sins are on your record book? Zero. Then the Bible tells us that Christ's righteousness is given to every believer. What that means is this. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we trust in him for eternal life, God gives us his righteousness to us. It's called imputed righteousness. I just want you to understand that. And so understand that Adam's sin was put to us, our sins put to Christ, and to everyone who believes, Christ's righteousness is given to us so that we can have eternal life. Amazing, amazing. So when we believe that, now we go back to this. He says, Don't, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Verse 16, so the king said, you shall surely die, Himalek, you and your father's household. What? And the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around and put the priest to death because their hand is with David. And they knew he was fleeing. No, they didn't know he was fleeing. But the servants of the king were not willing to put their hand to attack the priest of the Lord. Do you understand that? They won't do it. The the, the soldiers, they will not, the Saul's men were not willing to kill the priest. They will not do this evil. They know that these priests hadn't done anything wrong and that for them to die because of something they didn't even know about and they say, we're not doing it. Watch. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and you attack the priest and Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest and he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod, And he struck the city of Nob, the priest, the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and babies and oxen and donkeys and sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. He killed not only 85 priests, he went to the town and he killed the women and the children and the babies and the animals. He did it all in one day. Let me tell you something. He's an evil man. See, if the soldiers wouldn't do it, they wouldn't touch the priest. They wouldn't touch the priest. You know why? Because the prophet always spoke from God to man, but the priest always spoke from man back to God. And so he attacked the priest and he killed him. 85 priests and their families. You understand that evil actions of one man affects so many. Just look through history. Evil men have come to power and they have killed millions of people over the years. Look what Doeg does. He's an evil man. Well, watch what happened. We'll finish it up. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, was named Abathar. He escaped and he fled to David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed all the priests. And David said to Abathar, oh, no. I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Now, David says, it's my fault. It's my fault. I was there. I saw Doeg. I saw him there. I saw him looking at me. I had a feeling he would go tell Saul. But it's not David's fault. David didn't cause that man to do that evil. Just be careful. Sometimes people want to blame you for their evilness. You don't make somebody else be evil, and you don't make somebody else do evil. David said, I I should have known. And then he says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you're safe with me. He said, just stay with me, because uh, he's trying to kill me too. He's trying to kill you. Stay with me. We'll be safe. Is this an evil passage? Is this a hard passage? Wow. David's on the run. Saul ends up having the priest kill because he says they helped David. Let me give you some applications, and that is this. Let's expect evil in a fallen world. Just expect it. When we entered this world, sin the world death by sin. Doeg is willing to do evil. It led to the death of 85 priests and their families. Sometimes there are bad people. Sometimes, I mean, we're all sinful. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And be careful you put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. We'll do the wrong thing. So be real careful. But there are people who are evil. And they on purpose want to do evil. And this is Doeg. Doeg he wanted to do evil. So let's expect evil in a fallen world. Just remember this. Let's understand fear is going to cause us to do strange things. We're, we're afraid of evil people. We're afraid of viruses. We're afraid of all the kind of things that happen. We got to trust God in the times of fear. Listen, because it's there. There's fear all over the world right now. And you got to stand strong and say, look, I'm going to trust my God and I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. And I'm not going to live my life in fear. Because you have one who will never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? So let's understand that fear causes to do some strange things. Look what it did with David. He went out and pretended he was crazy. Last but not least, let's understand this doctrine of imputation is so fantastic from the Bible. Adam sinned to mankind, mankind sinned put on Jesus on the cross, and then Christ righteousness to the believer. I'm teaching a class at SBI this semester. And when we get to lesson 12, uh, I'm going to talk about, we're going to go into a lot of detail on what happened on the cross, about the whole idea of payment for sin and forgiveness of sin, and when did Christ die, and when was his blood shed, and when did, I mean, we're going to look at all that. So there's a lot of, there's so much stuff in the Bible that, that we need to know and understand and love. It's fantastic.